What's going on, everybody? Happy Monday, and welcome back to a brand new episode of The Tip of the Cap. I am on the phone today with my first ever return guest, Charlie from Full Circuit. Charlie, how we doing, man? Good, good. Crazy as everybody right now with this uh, the pandemic we're all dealing with, but staying somewhat sane and enjoying some extra family time at the moment. So, all good. How about you? Yeah, same thing, man. Just, uh, you know, spending time with the girlfriend and my cats and, you know, taking taking walks and drives whenever we can and just trying to stay active and stay sane you know i wish i could see my parents but that's not in the cards right now because uh you know they're a little bit older so we're trying not to introduce them to anything or you know get them especially with my day job i you know run into a lot of stuff and i never know what i'm carrying so i'm just being a little extra careful this time but uh outside of that it's been kind of nice to slow down for a bit but at the same time i'm starting to lose it so i think i think we all are take the good with the bad right absolutely So, I don't really want to talk much in the uh, much in the pandemic here. Where uh, I think everyone's getting getting worn out by that, to be honest with you. So, we are here because this is the second installment of the culture mini series that I've wanted to do and kind of put off for a little bit. And I've brought Charlie on because I've seen what they do over at Full Circuit. I've you know I, I follow them pretty closely on social media and stuff and I, I think they got a good thing going on they got a great culture over there and I wanted to bring Charlie on to talk about that stuff and we'll uh, we'll break right into it so Charlie kind of explain what you guys try to do outside of the baseball realm of things um so what we we tend to do at the beginning of each year we reassess things but um I pretty much stuck to my to my missions from when I first started the business years ago um we try to set real tangible expectations for coaches and players um that we're all willing to stick to and that we think we can actually you know realistically stick to so we don't we try not to ask players of more than we think they can give us and try to do the same with our coaches um it's the the hard part is honestly finding the, the coaches and the players to bring on to the program that we think can live up to those expectations and you know, it might mean that we don't always have the best possible player that we could have had, but we, we try to fill our, our teams and bring people in the building that we know are going to, you know, long-term help not just themselves, but help our program out, help the team out. So that comes from our coaches. I've been I've been real blessed over the years to have some amazing coaches. Um, still have them today. Um, Hank Morrison, one of our full-time guys here, um, and he's been a huge part of helping develop our culture and continue to develop it since he's been on board the last few years. Um, our other part-time coaches that are here um, that have been kind of essential to, to I, I may have started the culture years and years ago but they've been the ones to kind of foster it and um, but it's because they also believe in it they buy into what you know what my visions have been from the beginning what our players need and what they're looking for um, and it's you know we've been very fortunate to have those guys to surround our program so um, you know the, the basics of it I and mean, culture is such a loaded word right and in sports community right now you hear it all the time and you know baseball football nfl stuff you hear it in um all different avenues of athletics but it's an easy thing to talk about it's a very hard thing to actually enact um a simple way that i I can put this is uh, we run our programs and our teams a lot like my wife and i run our family Uh, my wife christina and i are going on eight years of marriage Um, we got three kids a six-year-old four-year-old and one-year-old and so having three little ones running around all the time, obviously we've talked a lot about how we want to raise our kids and how we want them to be as people. 
Um, and it seems to reflect a lot on what we do with our program. So whether it was intentional or not, I don't know, but it, it seems to be how we've built our program around a couple of few staples. And for as simple as these are it, in our society, it is very hard to get people to buy into these, I guess. Um, we've had success with it in our program, but it is hard in the, in the culture we live in now to, to abide by these couple of things. And uh, one is just be a good person. Sounds very simple, right? Just be a good person. But for some reason it's it's very hard for people to do on a daily basis um be kind um the golden rule it's you know i don't care if you're two years old three years old or if you're you're 40 years old you know it never really goes away that try to treat others the way you wish to be treated and we try to tell our players that our coaches that and myself that and um it's a, it's a simple concept but it works um work hard quietly work hard is, is what we try to talk about is don't talk about how hard you're working. Don't tell us how, you know, what a career you are and how much you get after it. Just do it. Shut your mouth and just do it. Because um, in my experience, those that have to tell you how much they're working are probably overcompensating at some point. Um, and be honest. That's, a, that's another simple concept. Um, if you have a disagreement with, with players, coaches, parents, uh, umpires, anything, in our community, we try to tell kids the same way we tell ourselves and, and we have to walk. You know, we have to walk the walk, too, but be honest with people. If I have, you know, a run-in with a parent or a player or an umpire or something, we got to be up front with it and, and take it head on, not try to skirt the system or, you know, circumvent the argument somehow. Just try to be honest with it. And we're extremely honest with our players and our families. Sometimes, you know, people may think it's to a fault because we're, we're very blunt. Um, but I tell our coaches the same thing. Don't beat around the bush with the kid. Just tell them. If a kid asks you, Coach, why am I not playing here? Why am I not doing this? Just tell them. If a parent asks, tell them. Um, if a kid wants to know why he's not seeing gains in the weight room, weight room's a big part of our culture here. And um, if a kid wants to know why he's not, we're honest with him. Well, you show up to one out of three workouts. Well, don't come and ask us why you're not seeing gains from anything. Don't don't ask why you're not as strong as the guy next to you, you know. Just kind of own it. So those are a couple of the, the simple, you know, staple rules, I guess, that we put in place here is just, you know, be kind, quietly work hard, and be honest. So it seems to have worked for the most part, and we keep trying to evolve it as we go. Right on. <clears throat> um, so you kind of touched on it a little bit there. Um, the idea of bringing in, you know, the, the not just talented players or knowledgeable coaches, but the right players and the right coaches. Um, I know me and you have talked in the past on the coaching side of things, and it's one of the things that I – really really like about the full circuit program is the idea that you're not going to put a team together that you don't have the right coach in place um can you kind of touch on that a little bit and why that's so important to you guys and why that's something that you really really want to hammer home yeah yeah for sure i mean so i'm i'm heavily involved in all of our teams i don't ever just you know throw a team together throw a coach at it and walk away but i'm i'm involved in formatting all the practices and you know, I still try to go to the games when I'm able to in the summer of all of our teams. Um, obviously, it's hard when you're coaching teams full-time, but, you know, I, I want to get out and see the teams uh, at least a couple times each summer. Um, and the off-season is a big part of it. I want to be involved with the guys. I want to watch them develop. Um, but knowing that I can't be at everything all the time, I have to find people that I trust to put in those places um, that I know are going to, you know, breed the right mentality and demand the same things that, that we want as a program from top to bottom. Um and it's hard to find those coaches, man. It, it's, it really has been. But for what you're bringing up to that point, I can't just put a team together and not have a coach in mind for it and know that he's going to be there for it. Because if I, you know, 
God forbid, what if I filled a team and I filled out a roster of 12, 13 guys, parents. And um, I mean, by the way, I don't know how a parent would sign a kid up for a team that they don't know who the coach is, but um, people do it. So to me, it's just insane to, to have that without a coach in place because, you know, to me, yes, they're, they're buying into our program and they're buying into what I'm putting out there, but they're going to be spending an awful lot of time come off season, come summertime in particular with a coach. I think you owe it to the family and to the, the parents um, who are not only putting a lot of money into it, but a lot of time and effort and, and their faith. They're putting their, their child in our hands. So to me, I think you owe it to them that you have to tell them who the coach is. You have to give them a little background on the guy and, you know, obviously, of course, you know, some emergency things may happen or something might come up and you lose a coach. Unfortunately, not gonna, we haven't had that, but um, I know that could happen. But, you know, at least at the start of the season, you want to be able to tell everybody, here's our coach, here's his background, here's his beliefs, and let that coach speak for himself a little too. And, and um, you know, that's why it's been hard for us to really grow. We are not the, the biggest program, and I've never set out to be the biggest program. I just, I just wanted to have a, a good, solid program. Um, and if it, if it means we got to stay smaller in order to do that, then we will. Um, but I've always had the mentality when people ask, well, how many teams are you going to have down the road? Are you ever going to expand it? And I'll expand it as big as we're able to do it and not lose our, our vision, not lose our mission statement. Um, and, and with that, it's, you know, it has been hard. You know, we've, we've gone up and down sometimes where last year we had a certain amount of teams. This year we have a different amount of teams. And you know, we lost one team just because I thought it was better for the organization from top to bottom. It was a really hard decision. But I said, you know, in order to, to continue the, the brand and the product that we want, I had to drop one age group. And I thought in doing so, we strengthened all the other ones. Um, so that's that's why we did that. And um but yeah, to, to the coaches part, it's very hard to, to get coaches um, that have the same mentality or in it for the right reasons. Uh, well, we've had we've had some tremendous coaches and still do, um, but it's it's certainly a slower slower growth than anything else for for me and for the program in that sense. Now, with a program that's uh, that's so heavily geared toward a, toward a certain culture, a certain type of person that you want involved, how do you how do you go about? seeing that like say when when you guys have tryouts and you have a a kid you've never seen before comes out and says oh i want to play for full circuit how do you obviously it's not it's not gonna be a perfect um yeah you know a a perfect equation here but uh how do you how do you tend to start to see that at like a tryout type setting how how do you how do you differentiate whether or not you know a, a kid who you know, you're looking at he's got the tools. To, you know, he's got all the tools. You know, is this the right type of player that I want in my program to wear my uniform, put my brand on their chest? Yeah, that's really hard. Um, it wasn't so hard years ago when we started. I only had one team. Um, it was just me, one assistant coach, and one team. So that was simple. I mean, our tryouts consisted of a couple of kids showing up to the field. The team was already built with some other kids that I've worked with in the past, and um, each year, you know, grew a little bit. But when we only had one or two teams, you could almost vet every kid and every family that ever came through the door, right? Where now we have multiple teams um, and, you know, logistically it's just impossible to do that, especially when you got a lot of kids trying out for certain age groups. Um, so, I mean, one, you like to think that as a coach, you, you got an eye for, you know, seeing certain things. Body language is huge. Um, how a kid carries himself at a tryout, how a kid looks at a tryout and how he shows up. Um, I'm big on handshakes and eye contact. Sounds simple, but if a kid can't do that, I really, you know, I, I feel like you're fighting an uphill battle there if he if he doesn't have that part of them yet. Um, and then, um, 
you know, we do, if, if I know, it's a ba- it's a small baseball world, you know, so if there's a kid that comes through, and let, let's say hypothetically a kid I see on the tryout list says he's from the Lancaster School District, and he's a, you know, ninth, 10th grade kid that's trying out for our program, and I see his name come through, well, guess who I'm probably going to give a shout to, and say, <laughs> hey, what, what can you give me on this kid, any, any idea, um, what's he like, what's his family like, well, what's his work ethic like, all of that. Um, so it's important to have a lot of people in the baseball community that you trust and that you know. Um, so I do make, you know, that the trial time is probably, it's, it is the worst and most stressful time of our year. I hate it. Um, but it is what it is. I'm on the phone a lot. I'm shooting messages to a lot of different coaches and trying to find out, you know, if, because we do miss on guys sometimes, you know, it's it's, it's more rare. I think we, we try to be really solid about who we're taking but um some of it's even you you talk to players you know you talk to returning players that should have been with us we have we have a very very strong retention rate in our program we don't have a lot of guys that leave um so that the nice part is let's let's say i got a kid from one school district that's been with us for two or three years already and then i see a couple of kids from that district trying out if it's a kid i trust in an organization i can say hey is this kid a fit is he part is he is he like us or no and I usually can trust those guys for the most part. Our kids, they may be teenagers, but um, they're a lot smarter and more insightful than we give them credit for sometimes. So I lean on those guys sometimes because ultimately they're going to be the ones playing with them, you know. They'll be the ones in the weight room with them, on the field with them, in the dugout with them. So i got to trust who's going to be there at the same time with them. So it's, it's not all just who I say, like what I say goes and you know, who I take, I take. Uh, you know, a lot of it is... It, sometimes they do it to themselves. You know, there's sometimes players will just kind of walk themselves into a tryout, and you know, I can scratch them off the list right away. Um, whether it's because of them, because of their family, because of you know history that I've heard of. Um, but you got to be careful. I mean, there's there's been, for instance, there's been multiple times over the years where we've had some some really outstanding players want to play or, or claim to want to play for our program, want to try out, but they you can tell they want special treatment. They want to be a little bit more um, entitled to, to what they want rather than what's best for the team. Um, and, you know, there's times where we've had guys that are on some other regional teams, you know, some of these other programs that run, you know, with kids from all over multiple states, which is fine. I mean, that, that provides a great resource and a great um, platform for a lot of kids. It's not what we do. You know, we try to stay fairly local. There are guys that we can train all year and we want to be part of the program full time. But we've had kids say, well, we'd love to play for you in the summer um, or we'd love to train with you in the winter, but we don't want to, you know, we can't commit to everything because we're going to be going to eight other tournaments with another team as well. And, uh, you know, that kind of makes our decision simple. I say, you know, as much as I'd love to have that talent on the roster, it doesn't fit for our program. It doesn't fit for the rest of the team. Um, so that, that's one thing. And on the flip side, I mean, I had one player um, – without mentioning names years ago come through and I had so many people tell me he was a red flag stay away from this kid he's you know he's an attitude he's a punk he's a he's not coachable he doesn't listen to two of those around him he's just bad teammate all these red flags right I mean I, I when I say I had half a dozen guys that's it's not an exaggeration I had half a dozen people tell me not to take this kid um but he tried out I watched him he did everything right he shook my hand he looked me in the eye um, he worked his butt off throughout the whole trial set. I just, I couldn't see it. You know, it was, I didn't see anything these people were talking about. And I rolled the dice and I, I brought the kid in after the next day. And I said, look, here's what I've heard about you. <clears throat> I didn't see it. So I said, I'm going to let you start with a blank slate. I love the way you play the game. I want you on this team. But I said, 
there's no three strike policy. If you prove me to be wrong and that you do fit into this mold that you're not coachable and you're a bad teammate, blah blah blah. I said, then you know this is going to be a quick exit. You're going to be gone soon because I, I can't. And, and to that kid's credit, he was he still is to this day one of the, the best kids I've ever coached. You know, great teammate, hard worker, guy that never once in three years playing for us, never once did I have an issue with him at all. Just a great kid, all around kid. So that's where it, it does become dicey. You kind of got to trust your gut on some things, and and you got to trust other people's gut on others. You know, and it's it, it's never an absolute. You know, you're going to miss on some, but other ones like this kid that I'm talking about, you, you hit the nail with it, and you feel like you won the lottery because you didn't believe the the hype around the kid. You know, because sometimes people are just talking from their own experience or their own jealousies or egos get involved, and you know that, that stuff does come into play. So you, you got to try to look around it you know absolutely i uh i actually have a very similar story about that i was playing <clears throat> when i was coaching for new era i was, well, I was the head coach of their 14 u team that year and we played this team from amherst kid had they had a catcher the, the kid was an absolute stud he was easily the best athlete on the field all around and but everything i'd heard about him was you know bad attitude you know he he gets himself thrown out of games. He, you know, looking always looking for, you know, to scrap with somebody, stuff like that. And for whatever reason, there was just something about this kid I really liked. And the last time we played him was in just a midsummer boys of summer game. And you know, every time I'm walking down to coach third, I'm just giving the kid a tip about his throwdowns. And it actually ended up costing us a game because he threw my fastest runner out <laughs> and checked the base. And you know, for me, it's not about the wins. It, you know, the the wins are nice, especially in the high school ranks. You know, winning is kind of kind of the benchmark but you know when i'm when i was doing that it was you know to help a kid out a, you know a talented player and after the game he walked up to me and he's like why did you help me like it ended up costing you a game and i say because this game doesn't matter when we look back when i look back i'm not gonna think like oh d- you know damn that amherst team beat me darn it i'm gonna think you know what over the course of seven innings that kid's throwdown got so much better he threw out the fastest the fastest runner on my team who had been caught, I think, two times all summer to that point. So, you know, that that's going to be the thing. And I go, listen, if you, like, I would love to have you on this team if you want to come come to tryouts next year and earn your way on it. And he did, and I took him um, against a lot of people's thoughts because of, the, you know, and he was a fiery, passionate kid. And by, yep. the time, by the time we were done, that kid ended up being an all-around leader on the team. And he actually... Um, he was a fantastic hockey player as well, and he actually turned down a chance to play in the juniors because they wanted him to be a fighter. They wanted him to be, you know, uh, the, the type of guy that went and took a run at somebody or took someone's head off and stuff like that. And he said, I think I'm good enough to play as a skill player and actually be a hockey player, not just a goon. <clears throat> and they said, well, we think you are too, but we like the you know, we like the fact that you can run somebody and stuff like that. And the kid said, that's not who I am. And he actually walked away from an opportunity to play juniors. Oh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's a really good point. That's, uh, I've seen that a lot with this kid I was talking about, and I've seen it other times where sometimes kids are just misunderstood or mislabeled because of their fire in them or their, their competition level. Um, the kid I'm speaking of, I know for a fact that he was just in some toxic environments prior to coming here. And I think that was a lot of what those people were warning me about was like they what they saw as a punk or an attitude was really just kid wanted to win he wanted to play and he wanted to play hard and the guys around him didn't like that they didn't play that way so you know it was a bad fit so that's probably why we never had an issue with him and other people did so yeah to your point you gotta sometimes you gotta look 
you know, a little bit deeper than what others are telling you, you know? Absolutely. Now you, you, and you, you touched on this already too. You're uh, <laughs> every, every time I come up with something like two seconds later, you're kind of already alluding to it. I'm like, yes, this is going well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you, you, you talked about like having a guy, like you have a you know good retention rate. Um, you know, you don't have a lot of guys that leave the program. So, and I know that you have a lot of guys that after they graduate and go on to college, come back and train with you and work with you. And uh, I do believe last year you had a, like almost a college summer team as well. Yep. So you do have a lot of guys that come back and, you know, I know that, you know, they probably bring some friends with them at times too. And I, that's got to play huge into breeding the type of culture that you want, because if you're, you know, if you, if you have a good retention rate, you have guys coming back, you obviously have guys that buy in and that's the biggest part is the, is the buy-in. And once you get one or two, you, then you get three or five, then you get eight or 10. And then, you know, when those guys, I know at your program, a lot of your teams work together also in the, especially in the off season. So, you know, you get guys that kind of like breed it through each other. So it kind of answers my question of how do you start to, how do you start to create and then breed the culture? But do you want to, you want to touch on that a little bit more? Yes. I mean, it definitely is a trickle down effect for sure. Um, we do have a strong retention. We have a lot of our college guys. Um, they come back, they train in the winter. They, they come back in the summers and train here. Um, during their breaks, they train here. It's, it's, it's cool. I mean, I love seeing all the guys. It's great to watch them grow. It makes me feel old as hell. Um, because some of them are kids that I, I coach when they're 14, 15, and now they're, you know, fifth, fourth, fifth year seniors at college and, um, coming back to, to keep working, which is really cool to watch them grow as, as men. Um, but the, the really cool effect of it is what our younger guys see when they come in. Cause a lot of times it does spill over, right? Like the, well, some of our college and our pro guys in the weight room lifting, doing their thing while our young guys are coming in to start their practice or workouts for the day. And, um, it, they see that and it's it's really a unique thing for a 13 14 15 year old who's aspiring to be there come in and watch guys like oh shoot that kid you know i heard he plays for the padres oh i heard he pitches at niagara i heard he pitches at canisius um so it's really cool to see those kids that are aspiring to be where those guys are and they've seen them and some of them have watched those guys those college or pro guys train with us for years you know they, they've seen them and they've kind of grown with them and watched their progress and they just want to follow in their footsteps so like, like I said before, yeah, I might, I may have set the culture at one point and set the idea of what we wanted to be, but it's really a testament to the players that have stayed here um, to help me continue to foster that. I don't, I feel like I don't have to do a whole lot more of it, you know, anymore because guys kind of they evolve our culture on their own a little too, right? They've they've changed things for us, and they've, you know, I listen to a lot of what our coaches and our players and our former guys say about our program, what they liked, and you know, things that they recommend or things that they learn along the way. Um, so yeah, it's it's a very unique setting when you can have a you know young kid watching a, an older guy that's been through it um, because they it's just natural leadership you know it's just put right in front of them and uh, I love it I mean it's I've even at times had um, had guys step up and I'll put them on the spot and one of your one of your former Lancaster guys Tommy Benarski uh, he played for us in high school and now he's at Niagara having great success and um, he trains here in his off time. Uh, comes in, throws, works out when he's home. Um, and last year, I caught him. You know, before him, him and uh, Jack Collins were two two kids that pitched together with us here. And I nailed them both right before they were about to leave. We had one of our older teams, our 16, 17 year group, um, in the weight room. And I said, "Hey, you guys, you mind speaking for a little bit?" And they go, "Huh?" And Tommy and Jack. Uh, I said, "I want you guys to just talk to our guys a little bit, tell them a little bit." 
you know, what you, what you learned, what you could do different, all that. Um, and, and Tommy was one of the ones that had to, he stepped right up and he, he was very blunt and very honest, which I loved. Um, and he just basically told the guys, you know, it was a lot longer than this, but he basically said, I wish I would have listened to my coaches a little bit more when I was in high school in your guys' shoes. And I wish I would have learned what real work was prior to actually getting to Niagara. You know, what he was referring to was he was a hard worker, but he wasn't always a smart worker in high school, uh, which I'm sure you saw as, as coaching him as well. Um, he, he, he worked hard at the things that he wanted to work hard at. He didn't want to work on his weaknesses that much. And I think when he got to Niagara, it exploited him a little bit because he was playing at a high level. Um, head coaches demanding a lot out of him. And now he's starting to see it. Now he is, he is a very, very hard worker and a smart worker now. Um, so for him to, to be at the Division One level as a successful pitcher and to be able to talk to you know, sophomores and juniors in high school that are looking at him and saying, I want to be there, that's priceless. You know, that's, that's stuff that I don't have to do other than set them up to talk to them. Like, hey, talk to these guys. They don't want to hear from me all the time. But let them hear from right from the mouth, you know? Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you, Tommy, <clears throat> Tommy's a funny kid. I, I, I had a lot of fun. I wish I would have gotten to coach him longer than one year. But, uh, you know, we, we got him his senior year coming from Alden. And uh, I'll tell you, he, uh, he, you're right, absolute hard worker. And that's actually the most common thing. And I, I tell my guys this every year. The most common thing that I've heard from every single kid that has ever played for me that has gone on to play college is, I wish I would have worked harder. And I tend to remind them, remember all the times you told me that we worked too much, we ran too hard, we did too many, like, we were doing too much. Remember, remember those days? And now you're looking at me yeah. going, I wish I would have done more. Yeah. And, you know, it's it, it's one of those things that it's it, it, will, for, it will be for the forever battle of, of coaches that are trying to get kids to college is to understand that the level that you're on is not the level you're going to be at and to be successful there, you need to work harder. And that's that's always a tough sell on a, you know, on a high school kid because high school kids know everything. Yep. Yep, uh, exactly. You know, it's uh, and actually one of Tommy's current teammates at uh, Niagara, and they played together for me at Lancaster. Max, you know, me and him have had that conversation time and time again. And, you know, he's like, man, I, I, I thought I knew it, man. I thought I had it figured out. And then I went to college and was like, oh. But uh, yep. he, uh, he's another one who the, uh, the weight room actually started to talk to him more and more in uh, once he got to college. And he, the, it's funny because he sends me videos sometimes of their, of their lifts and stuff. And it looks like they got a pretty solid culture going on over there with, you know, the guys, every, you know, kids, kids trying to PR on a deadlift and the whole team's around them, you know, cheer and going nuts and stuff and I love that stuff that, that speaks to the yep. football player in me so yep. but um yeah Robin and Spatty over at Niagara have done a really really good job particularly the last few years uh, I've you know I've always had a respect for them just because I mean I, I played against Robin as a when he was a coach I was a player at UB years ago um, and to watch his program develop like the last few years they, they really turned a corner and you know they were they're one of the teams I feel real real hard for that they lost their season this year because they were on something really special and I don't think they're going to lose that I think they're going to you know bring it back next year and have a lot of success but um, to their credit you know bringing on guys like Tommy and like Max and and you know growing them even more further than what you know we were able to do in high school with them they've, they've taught them a lot and exploited some of their weaknesses and and you know brought them out better on the other side which is really fun to watch 
Yeah, it, it's interesting because, like I said, we we at Lancaster, we I, I find that we we do a lot of the same things from a high school sense that you guys do as a program. You know, we we bring guys back that are playing. You know, we have you know LGs around all the time. Max and Tommy pop in all the time. You know, guys uh, Joey Dombrowski who went to St. Bonaventure now he's at Stony Brook. He comes back and comes around all the time. Um, you know, he's that guy. You know, those are those guys that. You know, not only are they around the high school practices and our off-season stuff, but they're they work out and work at the uh, Lancaster Indoor Training Facility at Westwood Park, and you know the our, our guys see it from you know sometimes as young as five and six year olds who come in and do their t-ball clinics, and as they're leaving, there's two guys hitting in a cage, and you you know then you know what it is that the the ball just hits different off a bat, and then people turn their heads and look like oh who's that. You know, and then you start hearing the stories and like, oh, can I get can I get lessons with that guy? And you know, all those guys do lessons there in the off season to make a little, you know, make a little extra spending money to go to go to Moe's one more time that week or something. And you know, yep. it's just all all these guys, even the high school guys, do the same thing where it's you know they're they're helping out and stuff like that. They're doing camps and clinics, and these kids are looking at them like you know this kind of the same way I used to look when I would sit and talk to Rick Lancelotti when I worked for him when I was in my twenties. You know, just. Like hit, telling telling a story, and I'm looking like a starry eyed kid on Christmas about like, oh, that's so cool. You know, it, it's it's the same concept except it's a you know a younger a younger shift, and you know I, I think I think that's huge. Yeah, it's priceless for development. That's and that's stuff that coaches can't provide. Honestly, we can provide a lot, but that's that's one thing we can't provide because our, our time is done. We're not playing anymore, so um, you know kids can look to us for a lot of things, but they're they're. They're not going to, nor should they look to us for the, the current, you know, that's that they get from the guys that are right in the thick of it right now. And um, so, like I said, that's priceless insights for, for kids at any age right now. Absolutely. Uh, I think we touched on pretty close to everything I wanted to touch on here. Um, anything else for the, uh, you know, on the, on the culture side of things that you're, uh, you want, you want to get out there, you want to touch on it? Um, I mean, I'll talk about anything, but um, I know one of the things that, that gets brought up a lot with a lot of teams is I've had other coaches around the around the travel circuit, at least when we're, we're out and about at tournaments in, in the summer, um, ask what we do for punishments, what we do for accountability, because every coach talks about accountability, I know, um, but not a lot are able to walk with it. And it's very hard as a coach, as, as a player it is too. Um, so I get. I mean, one. I'd be interested to hear how you guys handle things at Lancaster and what your your thought is as a, whether it's high school or travel. But when you know when you set rules in place, um, how do you enforce them? Or what do you, how do you stand true to them? I mean, I know we have a few staple rules in place, and everything has its exceptions. But um, you know, for instance, there was a time uh, years ago we, we had probably our, our best player on our team at a that was probably fifteen, sixteen year at the time. Um, he was playing center field and during a pitching change of a game that had just gone sideways on us, we weren't playing well, we were losing it and we were you know, down by a handful of runs. And I caught him during a pitching change, kind of on a half knee, half kneel, half sit in center field. And I about lost my mind on him, um, pulled him right off the field, mid inning, sat him, he was done for the day. Um, like that to me is something about just respecting the game. It's a rule that to me is, there is no exception, and there's a warning for that. If I see a kid in our program at least acting like that, they're they're done for for the time being. Um, you know, being late to practice, late to games, how we handle things is, you know, maybe a little extreme. Um, but 
I'd be interested to hear hear how you guys handle that. You know, what what are your staple rules that you that you have to abide by? You know, uh, one of the big ones, and this is this is definitely one of my things, is if you know, if as a coach, if you say you're going to do something, you you do you have to do it, and it might be hell, it might be torture, but you have to do it. Uh, perfect example of that when I was, you know, and I'll put it in context of both summer and high school. So when I was coaching summer ball, um, I used to start every single practice at New Era, like at the hitting, we used to hit first and then we'd field. And, you know, so we, they all go out, they'd run stretch. And then before they threw, we would grab our stuff and go hit while the team that was either an age above us or an age below us was on the infield. And we'd go in back in the first seven to 10 minutes of our hitting practice. We just turned on every machine back there and bunted every ball in the building. And any ball that went up off our bat, counted toward a an accountability exercise and what it was is after after we were done like the last five minutes of the hour that we had in back into the first five minutes of the the hour that we were supposed to be up front you know they'd circle up they would do different exercises some mostly body weight stuff because there wasn't much in the way of weights and whatnot and then when we'd go up front and those account those bunting accountability exercises came into play and what it was is it could be as simple as laps around the infield. And so I said, all right, guys, every single time a ball goes up off your bat, I don't care if it goes up and comes right back down and it wouldn't be caught. I don't want the ball going up off your bat for obvious reasons. And we are going to be perfect on this. And I said, whatever the number is that we get to, so if ball goes up off your bat, you yell number, you yell one. If you're the next guy, the last number you heard was one, you yell two. And it's a small area, you're going to hear the numbers called out. Whatever that number is, we're going to double it, and that's how many laps you're running on the infield. And Ooh. our very our very first <laughs> practice, they did 96 laps to start our defensive side of the work. Yikes. And they ran every single one of them because I've found as a coach, if you want them to believe you when you say things, you can't lie to them. It's, you know, the, the be honest yep. thing. And, yep, it, and, it's, and, it, and it sucked. And I bought every last one of them a bottle of water and a Gatorade at the end and said, you know, we can fix this by being better about it. The next week, that number was cut by a th- by in, in two thirds. You know, yeah. so we went from ninety six to thirty something, and it, yeah, you know, we had a lot better defensive practice that day too. And eventually, I mean, there there wasn't a single that summer there wasn't a single bunt that we didn't get down. Um, and it, you know, at the end there, I was even okay if it like I I hung strings in the cage if it goes to this side of it and it would be foul. It, it counts too, and we'd still only be running 10, 12 laps tops. And by the time yep. the summer came around, guess what? We were really, really good at getting bunts down. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's stuff like that and that, you know, I apply that to, you know, different, you know, PFPs and stuff like that. And then, you know, with, with the high school, it's it's a little tough with the being late to practice because, you know, every single kid on my team I feel like is in 19 different clubs and eight different right. honor societies and everything else. And, then you got you know SAT prep and this prep and that prep and all this other stuff and college visits and everything else, and um, you know weirdly driver's ed is a big one during our yeah. time, which I don't understand why that has to happen in the spring every year for kids that are, especially kids that are only baseball players. But that's me getting into something that just bugs me a little bit, I guess. But uh, you know we we take it from a standpoint of you know we we walk the walk that we do, we do everything as coaches that we expect of our players. You know, if there, there was a point where 
aside from me coming from work, there was, I showed up to late, late to practice one day because I ended up getting ca- uh, caught in traffic. And one of the kids looked at me and was like, you know, not for nothing coach. Like one of us shows up a little late, you know, we have to run and you know, you, you were late today. So I ran with the team after practice. And yeah. you know, if you know me, I'm not, a, I'm not big on running. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's accountability though. That's absolutely that's hard. I mean, punctuality is something huge for us and, I'm maybe on the extreme side of it, but uh, well, the, the speech that I always give to our families and our kids at the beginning of the year is, you know, when, when we hold, hold a time, you get there before that time. If you're not there at the right time that we say, there's, you know, there's repercussions for it. Uh, you know, for, for instance, with, you know, with our older guys, and I tell the families this, and this I mean from my heart, because we do deal with a lot of 16 and older kids that are driving. And I tell, our rule is you show up to a game one hour, you are ready to play one hour prior to game time, right? If it's a six o'clock game, you better have cleats on, ready to warm up with your team at 5 p.m. That's it. Now, again, if you're caught in traffic, if you, you got hung up or parents got hung up with something, you couldn't get your car, that's not fine. I had one guy speeding the games, but I tell them, I said, you guys got to remember when you show up at 5.15 and I didn't get a message from you saying, coach, running a little behind, I'll be there, but this is what happened. Then all I think of, I'm, I'm a father of three. The, the first thing you think of is the worst thing for your kids, right? And these guys are an extension of my family. When I when I don't know where a kid is, you immediately think, well, he's in an accident somewhere. Right. You know, he's laying in a ditch somewhere and needs help. Um, and the, the players as teenagers, they don't always see it that way. They don't have that kind of perspective. But as a parent, people understand that. You know, you start thinking, well, I got a 17-year-old who I know is driving to the game by himself, and he's 15 minutes late, and I haven't heard anything from him part of our rule is just tell us right right and one of the stories that i'll always hold to me and i don't mind mentioning names because i don't think they'll care um mike mazara and mitch rosati were on one of our older teams not our first team ever but one of our younger groups um and mitch rosati now plays ball at st john fisher mike mazara plays at canisius um both great kids tremendous families in our program um but the first game we ever played with them on their team they weren't driving yet um, Mike Mazar's dad will probably kill me for telling this, but um, his dad shows up at Green Lake on the top of the hill. They pull up, and they were about five minutes late for the first game of the season at Green Lake. And I knew what I had to do, you know, to stay true to my word and, and teach the boys what you know accountability. Like this is our rule, guys. You're late to the game, and you didn't tell me that you were going to be late. And um, you know, his father tried to go to bat for him, which I understand. He said, you know, it's, it was my fault. I was running behind. You know, a lot of things going on. It was my fault. It's not the boy's fault. I said, I get it, but this, this is still our rule. You know, they could have told, they could have called me. They could have texted me and let me know that they were running behind. And I said, I looked at my phone. There's nothing there. So I asked the boys, I said, did you guys try to contact me? No, coach, we didn't. I said, okay, well, you're sitting today then. And at that time, you know, this is going years, years back. But at that time, I know the dad was pissed at me. Mike was, Mike is the dad's name as well. He was livid with me. Um, and I had to stay true to it. You know, that was my, morally, I thought that I had to stay to my obligation to our rule, right? Um, and I know he probably held on to that. The boys probably held on to that for a while. And then later on, towards the end of the year, um, his father actually, we were talking one time and he said, you know what? He goes, I got to tell you, when you when you benched them that day, I thought you were the biggest jackass in the world. I couldn't believe you would do that on that. But he, to his credit, he said, but now I see how the program runs and how, you know, you do hold the boys accountable and you, you do demand a lot out, but you live to it. And that's just part of the program, part of the rules, part of your, your culture. And I think he, whether he agreed with it or not, I know he at least respected it after the fact, you know. 
Um, and that I still remember that conversation and that meant the world to me that, you know, a parent saw it, dis- disagreed with it initially, but at least understood it. Um, and that to me, that story will always stick with me. Um, and those are two boys that I still am in touch with. I still see them. They're both, again, having success. They're both playing collegiately. Um, and now one of them, the little brother actually plays on our team now. Um, the family's stayed with us through it all. And, um, but simple things like that, it's very easy as a coach to, to just look the other way and say, yeah, yeah, he's five minutes late, but those are two of our best players. We need them on the field, which would be the easy thing. But then what happens when the next kid shows up late and then the next kid shows up late? You can't change your standard based on the kid, you know? Absolutely. Um, so that, that, that's just a funny story that always stuck with me, and I'll, I'll always remember it still. But, um, but yeah, it's an interesting thing, man, accountability and punctuality. Yeah, I, I always had the uh, the two rules that, you know, I, I wrote my lineup card. So if we had a 6 o'clock game, I wrote my lineup card at 5.15. If you weren't there and I didn't know why, you weren't on the lineup card. And if you weren't on the lineup card, you couldn't play that day. And yeah. the other one was you when you walk up to the field, <clears throat> you're dressed and ready to play, ex, you know, obviously aside from your cleats. So, you know, I, I didn't like kids walking up in, you know, basketball shorts and a sleeveless shirt with their jersey slung over their bag and you know <laughs> stuff like that it was you know you, when you got here you're you know you i don't care if you drive to the field that way but you get out of the car you put your stuff on you approach the field looking like a baseball player not like you're going to the beach and yeah. that's that's when being ready for the game starts and you know it, it's a little different in high school you know we obviously you know when we're on the bus we travel in uniform and whatnot but the uh the other one that we actually it's always been big for me is the throw, you know, obviously throwing equipment every, you know, it's something that a lot of coaches talk about, <clears throat> but it's something that's a far more common than I think anyone, anyone would like to admit. And when I was coaching in the summer, it was, you know, that was automatic. You threw, you threw a piece of equipment, you threw your helmet, you threw your bat down, you know, you, you tossed your glove against the fence out of disgust the, you were done for the day. And we, when I started at Lancaster, we were pretty, pretty stiff about that one. And, we actually found in the last couple of years that we've incidentally gotten away from it. And <clears throat> that's uh bad on us because we, you know, we would make excuses for things. And uh, I'm going to use a guy who's playing football at Brockport right now, Ben Damiani, probably one of the most fiery baseball players I've ever seen. I and mean, this kid, the, the catcher that I was talking about earlier, you know, Ben, ben puts him to shame with, with as far as his fiery competitiveness. And sometimes, to a fault, uh, especially, you know, in the world of baseball, you know, in football, you get angry, you know, you can, you can try to hit somebody a little bit harder, stuff like that, you know, and in, in baseball, that's a little bit tougher to do. Um, ben was probably one of the few guys that I knew that would be angry about it at bat and would throw the ball from third to first a lot harder the next time in the first base and be like, dude, I didn't do it. Like I, I didn't <laughs> strike you out. Stop throwing the ball so hard, but right. uh, you know, stop trying to take my head off. But you know, Ben, Ben was notorious for, headbutting his own helmet out of frustration. And, you know, it's something that, like, you, you, you look at a kid like Ben and you want him on the field, and if we would have pulled him every time he did something like that, Ben probably wouldn't have played many games for us. Oh, we're going to pause here. I got a little uh, got a little issue with the phone call. All right, we were back after our little technical difficulty there uh, to, to finish that story. You know, Ben... Ben wouldn't have played or, you know, finished many games for us that year, you know, because you you want that fiery competitor on the field, but at the same time you don't want the the issue of that 
boiling over too much. And there were one or two times it came pretty close to it. And, you know, that we, we actually had some guys in the team that were like, you know, I'd, you know, guy, guy takes, you know, grounds out or something like that. Or, you know, kid makes a good play on him. He comes, he would come back as mad after a strikeout as he did on a screaming line drive that almost killed somebody, but got caught. You know, right. if he got out, he was just as angry no matter how it happened. And, you know, one of the other guys was like, hey, nice contact. You know, you'll, you know, next time it'll be over his head. And he'd be like, get away from me type thing. Right. And, you know, so we we combated trying to, to confine that a little bit without toning him down too much because that fire was something that drove him. But at the same token, you know, when you make an excuse for one, all of a sudden, you know, we started seeing that being a more and more and more common thing. In the, and especially last year we really tried to rein that in. And the first time that, you know, unfortunately when you, you know, we, we were up front with the kids, we were like, look, that is not something that's going to fly anymore. Like we need to rein that back in. That's a problem. That's not who we are. And as we say, that's not how we roll. Um, yeah. You know, so the first time a kid, you know, threw a helmet after a strikeout and he got sat immediately and he was our starting center fielder, um, you know, there, there were no excuses. And he, he looked at us and was like, what the hell? What, what do you mean I'm benched? And he, you know, kind of kind of shut down for the day. But after you know after the fact, he's he came out. He's like, yeah, I, I messed up, and I know that you guys are going to be like that. You know that this is going to be how it is this year, and you know I need to be better. And I think we only had one or two other instances of it, but you know it didn't matter who it was. You know, I think one kid punched the bench after a strikeout, and one kid, you know, same thing like forcefully placed his bat amongst the other bats that were against the fence. And it was, you know, it probably wasn't as bad as it sounded, but it sounded bad. And it was, you know, same thing. It was automatic. And we told the kids from day one, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or what position you play, you know, you could be my starting pitcher. And that's unfortunately I'll call timeout and stall this game as long as I have to, to get somebody else warmed up. If you're the guy that ends up in that situation. So don't put us in that situation. Yeah, that's hard, man. Especially, I mean, there's there are certain things obviously that are easy to put concrete rules in, but it's the, the to me it comes with that throwing equipment being in too intense, all that stuff. It's very hard to to monitor. To me, it comes down to intent a lot of times. You know, yes, if you're belligerently just chucking helmets and shit, that to me is inexcusable. Intensity is is another thing. I think you know, intensity is okay if it's if it's for the right reasons. But the intent behind things is what I try to look at. You know, it, to me, we're, we're huge on on we over me. You know, it's a team atmosphere. It's not about you. So if you're if you're pissed off at the world because you're zero for three on the day and you just went zero for four now because of that, that it, to me the body language shows it. If you're you know it's a clutch situation, you didn't come through for your team, and you're you're frustrated about that. That comes through a different way. You know, and. To me, I think as a coach or as a as a viewer of a game, a lot of times you can tell the difference between somebody who's mad because he's just selfish about his own stats versus a guy who's mad because he might have let his team down and you know that that hurt him. You know, Absolutely. so you got to. To me, there is some some sense of fluidity to that. You know, it's it's hard to yeah, like you know, blatant just chucking things is one thing. You know, if a kid, you know, to your point, if a kid slams his head on his helmet because he's mad that he, you know, he didn't come through for his team, I try to see through that a little bit and you know give them the benefit sometimes but if it's just out of pure selfishness then i think it's inexcusable um and it's hard to see it all the time but i I think a lot of times you can you can pick up a kid's intent behind it you know yeah and that's yeah that was one of the things too is you know obviously uh, one one guy sees a guy do it and you know well when i do it well why is it a problem when i do it well when you did it it was you know we're up eight nothing in the sixth inning and 
you went oh you like you just went oh for the day so that's different than him being angry for again hitting that screaming line drive that got caught by the left fielder with bases loaded and two outs that's a right. different reaction you know yep. and, yeah, uh, exactly that's you want the intensity you just don't want the selfishness with it you know ab- that, absolutely so yeah the uh we're, we're actually spending a good chunk of this spring focusing on our culture at Lancaster and kind of kind of fixing some things and, you know, writing the ship, if you will, with some things that we, we kind of saw going awry the last couple of years. And, you know, we, we had a lot of kids that were actually after our season last year, you know, some of the juniors were talking to me, Coach Delfonso, and uh, Coach Hafner, who is – taking on a little bit bigger role with us this year about how to fix the culture, how to fix some of the problems, how to, you know, avoid some of the issues that we had last year of, you know, it being, you know, the us as coaches trying to enforce things and keep the team on the straight and narrow where, you know, they wanted it to be more on them as returning seniors to not allow things to happen. And it was actually, you know, uh, to coach, Coach Hafner's credit, he uh, Benny was doing a great job with that, and you know some of the guys that were that are seniors that we you know we're still still holding out some hope that we get to see them in uniform and play this spring for uh, for the school team, you know that worked their tails off all winter long to make the team and you know have an impact in it and you know both physically and you know that that beyond the baseball side that we were talking about earlier, um, you know those guys you know to their credit have been doing a great job trying to redefine our culture a little bit and, you know, make it better and bring it back to where we think it was, you know, not so long ago, you know, even just a year or two. And, you know, we had, we did have a down season last year and a lot of it was, we had a down year on the field and we had a down year, I think in the locker room a little bit for different reasons. And, you know, that, that falls as much, as much on us as coaches as it does on, you know, the players in the locker room itself. But, you know, we, we were actually, you know, and it's one of the things, uh, the whole culture talk fascinates me. It absolutely does. Um, me, I know me and you have talked about it a lot and you've, you know, been able to tell me some stories from other organizations that you've seen and outside of the baseball world, even, you know, that you've been lucky enough to be a part of a day, you know, behind the scenes and stuff like that. And just, you know, some of those amazing things that, you know, a good coach can get big time players to buy in as opposed to, you know, some other coaches that, you know, you have a mid-tier player that acts like he's the best, you know, the best athlete in every room he walks into. And it, it, it the whole thing fascinates me. I, I love the conversation about it. Yeah, same here. I mean, that, that to me is, it's, the stuff you see on the field is, to me, a direct result of the product or what you're you're putting in off the field. Um, and everybody can do it differently. There To me, there is no one recipe for the right recipe, right? There's, there's all kinds of ways to get there. Um, ours, I, I think, has developed a lot in the weight room. Um, it's just the style of our program. We're, we're built in the weight room. We, we do a lot of things in the weight room. Uh, doesn't mean it's the only way to do it. There's other teams that do it probably without ever touching weights. But um, from my background in the strength community, you know, Nate Harvey's a huge influence on me. He was one of my strength coaches over at UB years ago. Um, and he was one that he'll tell stories about how he put a sign up in his new weight room at UB when he was there. It said confidence built here. And he believes that through and through, and so do I. You know, you, you build that confidence, that camaraderie, that, that commitment in the weight room. It has nothing to do, you know, directly. It has nothing to do with baseball. You know, we're not hitting in there. We're not throwing in there. We're not doing anything. We're lifting. But those guys that you go to, to battle with in the weight room and you're hitting PRs or you're missing PRs or you're you're sweating and you're, you're you know, draining yourself of all your energy and your time, you know, that, that means something once you do step on the field, you know. And when teams don't have that built in, then – 
you don't see it on the field, you know, and you try to have it with all your teams, but you don't. Obviously, it's it's not always perfect, um, but I can tell you that the best teams we've had in our history, at least, our short history at Full Circuit have been the ones that were most committed in the weight room. Um, the guys and the teams that were a little less or a little lax in the weight room, they they didn't see the success on the field. So it is, it's, you got a part of it too, I think, is you got to be willing to, like you, like you alluded to, you got to be willing to learn from people outside of your community. That's why, again, we're a baseball organization, but I learned from a lot of different avenues. You know, I talked to people in sales, I talked to different trainers, different coaches from other sports, different environments, you know, little league guys all the way up to professionals, everything, because we can learn from all of them. Um, and it's hard, you got to put your ego aside sometimes too. Uh, last summer was a great example of that for me. I had, the year before, we had a really, really strong team. Great, great culture when you talk about just camaraderie as a team and all that. Um, and they had a lot of success on the field. The following year, it was tougher. I, I hit some roadblocks as a coach. I, I really, I had hit. Some, I, I dealt with things that I hadn't had to deal with in the past. It was a tougher summer. Still, a group of a lot of really great kids that worked hard, but for some reason, the recipe just wasn't perfect. Um, and then to watch last summer, Jeff Zemecki is uh, the coach of the Thunderwolves organization around here. You know, I guess you could call us "quote unquote" competition, but I don't really think we are. Um, we're actually, you know, friends, colleagues. We're in the same community. I got a great deal of respect for him. And if you watched, if you had the chance to watch his team play last year, that was outstanding. I mean, their culture, their environment was outstanding on the field. The way that their, their players played for each other, played for their coaches, it was a really cool thing to see. And I was the, the competitor in me, of course, as a coach, was like, damn it. I, you know, <laughs> you got a really, really good crew going right there, and they got a, a special thing going, and they did. And you know what? As a, as a coach, as somebody in the field that I'm not leaving anytime soon, um, I have to be able to look at that and acknowledge it too and say, you know what, shoot, you tip your hat to guys like that or you tip your cap, I guess, if you will. Um, and, and just, you know, acknowledge it. And then you learn from even guys like that. You know, he's, yes, he's quote unquote competition, but I can learn from that too. You know, as a coach, I got to be able to, to look at that. And if, to me, once I'm not willing to look and learn from, from other people, from other coaches, other parents, um, that's kind of when you've lost the battle and you might as well hang them up as a coach. So hopefully I'm not there. I'm, I'm not there yet. I know. And I, I pray that I never get there. So, yeah, I, I find it, I find in my experience, you know, getting, getting compliments from and being able to compliment coaches that you coach against, um, you know, programs that you, you go against stuff like that is, you know, and I'm, I'm talking a true compliment, not the, uh, the type of, you know, backhanded compliment, Type thing, you know that you, that you see sometimes in a competitive environment, but like yeah. an actual like heartfelt, you know, handshake, looking in the eye type compliment are some of the best. And the you know the, the, that's the type of stuff you can hang your hat on because that speaks to I believe not only your team's abilities but your team's culture and the, the that that you know behind the scenes feel. Um, I can tell you the the one of the greatest ones I ever did or I ever had as a coach was we were playing a tournament in. Um, in Columbus and we because of a rain out we had to play our last pool play game first thing in the morning on Saturday and you know the, the game didn't matter for us or actually it was a team from Rochester that we were playing that we had played three times already that year um so we like my center fielder pitched and his right fielder pitched and it was like a 11 to 10 game and it didn't matter who won because we had both already won our little pool and we're moving on uh, then we played w the one playoff game and we won. Then we played another playoff game and that went to extras and it was supposed to go to international tiebreaker, but the field convener had left. So the umpire said, let's play baseball. We ended up going to 10 innings there. 
and then we played what was our fourth game of the uh, of the day. And if we won, we'd have made the semis, which were being played at Ohio State the next day. And Jeez. because our game went to ten innings, this other team had been sitting around waiting. They were rested, they were fresh, and they they had only played one game that day. We were on our fourth, and we came out and we were in a heavyweight slugfest with the with this team to the point that after the sixth inning, their coach was trying to get the umpire to call the game because they had a one-run lead and were he didn't want to play the seventh inning. And I'm like, you know, they're like, so I'm, I'm, I'm fired up. I'm using that to get my kids all gassed up. I, I, I said loud enough for the whole world to hear me that they don't want to play you. They don't want to go one more inning with you. They're on inning 14, you're on inning 47, and they don't want to play you. And we ended up going out. We ended up losing that game on a shoestring catch, diving catch up the middle by their shortstop that prevented the tying and winning run from scoring in the bottom of the seventh. And after that game, that coach walked up to me, shook my hand, and said, I would never, ever, ever want to see this team fresh because, holy crap, these kids fight like you wouldn't believe. Uh, they they tacked four on four on us in the first. We tacked on six right back, and I mean that that right there was a tell that you you were in for a fight because four innings in the first inning of the fourth game of the day. That's an easy that's an easy way to say uh we're we're done. Yeah. You know, and he you know that, I will never forget that day or that compliment from that coach. Like oh my, I would not want to see this team you know fresh with rest because, good lord, that was a, th- this team has talent and this team has fight and that was you know. One of those, uh, you know, pat on the back type things that I was like, that that's what we worked for. You know, that that was it. That was the epit- You know, that was the that may have been the epitome of that season for us. Yeah, that's awesome. So we are uh, we are approaching the hour mark here. Um, so I think we're gonna gonna put a bow on it and call it a day. Is there anybody, uh, anyone, or anything you want to give a shout out to? Anybody, you know, anything anything left you want to say? No nah, man, just hope all the boys in the in the baseball community all around our organization or not, or high school or not, whatever it is. Hopefully they're all making making lemonade out of a, a tough situation right now, and you know, still getting some work in, still trying to stay strong and healthy, and you know, don't use it as an excuse for when you do get on the field that you're not ready. Just do everything you can to make sure you are ready. And everybody's in the same boat right now dealing with this pandemic issue, so. At least nobody's really – the only edge you're going to get is the edge you create for yourself. So that's what we've been trying to tell our boys all along. And, you know, when, when you get out of it, once all this is wrapped up and done and we finally take the field, um, you're going to find out individually by the, the players' sake, you're going to find out who the who the real self-motivated guys are. So I'm excited to see that. Yeah, it's definitely going to be the most interesting spring and or summer that we've ever seen in baseball in Western New York because you are going to find out who's willing to take the steps to get it done without somebody watching, without, you know, you know, char- characters who you are when no one's looking, right? Yep. Amen. So, well, Charlie, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, as always, Tip of the Cap is brought to you by Stinger Sports. www.stingerwoodbats.com. Head on over, use the code Tip of the Cap for 10% off your order. Check them out. They got some great quality wood bats. They're doing some really fancy stuff with uh, – flame decorating and stuff like that. You can find them on Instagram and stuff. The, the stuff they're putting out is really cool. And they also sell uh, wood mugs made out of wood bats. So those are cool. I'm going to be buying one myself very soon because I think they're sweet. So like I said, Charlie, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate, uh, you know, lo- always love talking to you. And uh, like I said, I appreciate the, appreciate the insight. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime.